Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for, and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I, of course, cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners, and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions, because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show, that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. You are listening to McNamara on Money, the South Shore's very own financial talk radio show. My name is Kirk Reed. I'm one of the advisors at McNamara Financial. Uh, I have a special guest with me this morning uh, calling in uh, via Zoom, uh, Mr. Kurt Zarnowski. Uh, Kurt, can you hear me? Certainly can, Kirk. Good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, All right, so now that we've hit April, uh, you must have 30 or 40 rounds of golf under your belt for 2022, yeah? Yeah, not quite that many, but I was able to play in January, in <laughs> February, and March here in Massachusetts, which I thought was quite a feat. That is pretty unbelievable, yes. Um, uh, so, uh, Kurt, um, why don't you, if you don't mind, um, maybe take a minute and you know introduce yourself, tell, tell the listeners uh, what it is uh, that you do or what you've done in, in, over, the, over your career. Sure, and it's a pleasure to be back with you guys. I've been on the show several times in the past. Um, I worked for the Social Security Administration for 34 years. Uh, the last 20 years, I was the communications director here in New England, which meant I spent my time of talking to people about the Social Security program. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to retire at the end of 2010, and for the past 12 years now, or I'm now in my 12th year, of continuing to do that same type of work, um, which is to try and educate people about the Social Security program. And uh, I've teamed with you and, and the folks at McNamara Financial for, for a number of years now, um, helping to educate your clients and prospects about the Social Security program and how it fits into um, retirement planning. We've done a number of different uh, educational sessions together. Uh, we've got another one coming up later in the month, which I'm sure we'll be touting uh, through the course of, of the program. But, uh, but basically, I'm a, a, a Social Security education guy and try and help people understand how social security fits into retirement planning. Um, I'm not an advisor. I don't try and tell people what they should do under the program. I just try and help people understand what they can do and so that they're in a position to make an informed decision about what they should do about collecting social security benefits. And, um, and you know, I'm trying to. I was trying to think about how long it, it has been that we've that we've known you and, and worked with you. And I, and I, I mean, I have to imagine it's been about ten years, uh, plus or minus. I think it's a little bit less than that. It's probably about eight years or so. Okay, eight um, years. Okay. Yep. We've been doing. Um, have started doing in person sessions. Um, past couple of years, because of COVID, we've been 
virtual, uh, but hopefully uh, next year we'll be able to get back to in-person sessions as well. Notice how I said, you know, it's been so long because it's, you know, because it's been so wonderful. You're right. It seems like it's been, you know, and time just flies. And then you were like, no, it's been eight years. It's been a, it's been a long, strenuous eight years. <laughs> I was like, right. That's the difference in age. That's the difference in age between the two of us. <laughs> okay. Uh, but it, yeah, no, it's for been. You, for yeah. someone your age, eight years is an eternity. For someone my age, eight years, like that. Okay. All right. Thank you for, for backing that up. Clarified. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, so, and yeah, and, and even, even though we have known you for so long and, you know, and, and we, you know, we deal with social security on a, on a pretty regular basis as far as, you know, how it integrates, you know, with somebody's financial plan. But every once in a while, we, we, we do still uh, call you with questions because, you know, there are just, you know, there are different scenarios that, that occur. Uh, and we'll talk about that today, you know, as far as like overlapping with pensions and, and things like that. And so there, it, it can get a little confusing um, and a little complex depending on the situation, um, and that's you why. Know, and, that's, yeah. and that's been one of the things that has always uh, amazed me during my career at Social Security, and even now that I'm out on my own. You know, I like to say the program's over 86 years old. Each and every month, it pays about 99 billion dollars in benefits to more than 65 million people, and on top of that, there's another 178 million folks who are now working and paying into the program. As I always say, despite the age, the size, and the economic impact of the Social Security program, somehow there are still areas of myths and misunderstandings that people have. And uh, so it's always great to have an opportunity to work with you folks and, and try and dispel some of those myths and help people better understand Social Security and how it fits into retirement planning. I think, you know, for, you know, for most individuals that, you know, that don't work in, you know, in finance or, or you know, related fields. Yeah. It's like, it's the one, you know, they come up, they come up to it, you know, when they reach their sixties and it's kind of like, they don't, you know, that's not part of their daily life to be reading about it per se. And so uh, when it, when it comes time and they're like, Oh, there's a lot, there's a lot to learn here. And, and so they, they do need some help kind of figuring it out. Absolutely. You know, and, and when I worked for social security, I, I, I was uh, stupefied um, that people weren't paying attention to this earlier on when I thought they should be. And then finally it dawned on me, you know, People your age with, with kids, you got to get kids to soccer or to piano or to school, and then you're worrying about college. And, and so it's, it's natural that people don't focus on retirement planning and Social Security till later on in life when they've cleared away some of that other stuff that they, they, they focus on. And so for me anyway, it was kind of like the, the dawn breaks over Marblehead. Um, a, a realization that really you need to be paying attention to folks who are paying attention to the topic and that's people approaching retirement and for me it's the baby boom generation these days you know the 75 million boomers now approaching retirement age they're now in a position where they can and do pay attention to social security so you know working with you and other people that's the audience who's now paying attention again and, and looking to learn about how social security fits into retirement planning. Um, yeah, I, you know, and I still, I still get the question from people and I, I think I even got one last week, you know, about, you know, is this, is this still going to be here when, you know, when I retire? Uh, so people are still, you know, people are still worried about that. And so maybe you can, maybe you can dispel that a little bit. Sure. That is one of those eternal questions that's always there. So I started working for the social security administration in 1976. At that point, I'd go to Zarnowski. Now that, now that was a long time ago, Kurt. I know, that was prior <laughs> to your birth, I believe. Um, but I'd go to Zarnowski family functions and uh, the Zarnowski uncles would sort of sidle on up to me and whisper in my ear, is it gonna be there for me? You know, and this was uh, 45 years ago or something like that. And so it's always important for people to understand how the social security program operates, you know? And, and, each, and we'll talk about, we can talk about this now. And, and each year, Social Security's Board of Trustees issues a report on the financial health of the system in which they attempt to not only lay out the current situation, but attempt to then project 75 years into the future. So that report comes out annually. 2021 report came out last August. That report says, is currently constituted, assuming no changes to the program whatsoever, no increase in taxes, no reduction in benefits, no changes whatsoever. They project Social Security has enough money on hand to cover 100% of promised benefits through the year 2034. But the report then goes on to say, which a lot of people conveniently overlook, that at that point going forward, while Social Security isn't projected to have enough money to cover 100% of the benefits, 
they do project it has enough money coming in to cover 78% of the benefits. Well, that's an important point. I don't know how many times I've heard, particularly from younger folks, oh, there's not gonna be anything there for me down the road. Keep in mind, Social Security's primary source of income is payroll tax dollars collected from employers, employees, and people who are self-employed. So absent a complete and total collapse of the US economy, so that nobody anywhere is working, Social Security is always going to have a revenue stream of some sort. The question is, looking down the road, is that revenue stream thought to be enough to cover 100% of the benefits that have been promised? And again, according to the latest trustees report, while it isn't, it is projected to be enough to cover 78%. So worst case scenario, I say to folks, in 2034, you get a thousand bucks a month, 2035, and again, assuming Congress does nothing to deal with the issue, and to me that's inconceivable, as Wally Shawn said in uh, The Princess Bride. Yeah. Um, I think they will deal with the issue at some point, but you wouldn't get zero, you'd get $780 per month going forward. So it's important to put some context on it, this issue about the program going forward. It's not how does Congress act to close 100% funding gap by next month. No, it's how over the course of the next you know, 12 years or so, did they come up with some changes to the program to close this 22% funding gap? And there's all kinds of means to do that out there. Because if you think about it, Social Security in its simplest form is money coming in and it's money going out. So the issue confronting Social Security is no different than someone's own situation at home. If at the end of the month, you can't pay all of your bills, you either got to bring more money in or pay a little bit less money out. From the Social Security side, it's the same type of thing. Now, if you close that 22% funding gap simply by bringing in more money, who are you impacting? Well, folks like yourself, younger folks, employers. You close that gap simply by cutting benefits, who are you impacting? Older people like myself. So I think in the end, when Congress does get around to dealing with the issue, you're gonna see a blend, some reasonable increases on the income side, some reasonable slowdowns on the outflow side, so that that 22% gap is closed, but no one's, no single person's ox gets gored, if you will. On the income side, there's all kinds of measures out there. I don't endorse any of these, but or, or I'm just not trying to endorse any of these right now, but it's among the possibilities are. So if you're an employee, you pay a 6.2% social security payroll tax on a maximum level of earnings. This year, it's the first $147,000 that you make. In terms of ways you could bring some more money in, that 6.2% tax rate hasn't changed since 1991. So one thing perhaps, you don't have to increase it to 10% or anything, but you could nudge it up a you couple know, of tenths of a point. Do you know what it was prior to 91? Well, it gradually increased from 55 up to that 6.2 okay. over time, but 5. it stayed 5. flat. Yeah, and, and, and so, you could go to, I don't know, 6.4, 6.5. So that's one way to bring some money. I was, I was just thinking that. I mean, even if you, yeah, if you bump it up by like a tenth of a percent, I mean, over, over the entire country, that's a pretty big dollar amount, right? I mean. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's a possibility on that side. Um, you could increase the taxable maximum, index it to something other than it's the average wage index in this country. So increase that a little bit. I mean, don't you don't have to eliminate it but there are ways that you can bring more money into the program. On the outflow side, there's possibilities over there as well. Now, for example, your benefit is calculated by averaging your highest 35 years of work under the system. One thing you do perhaps is recognizing that, <coughs> excuse me, full retirement age <coughs> is increasing and people are retiring later. So maybe you change the computation formula so instead of averaging 35 years, you average somebody's, I don't know, 37 or 38 years. That would slow down the growth in benefits, but it wouldn't be unreasonable given the fact, say you get out of college at, at, at age 22, although in your case, what was it, age 32? Okay, that, relax, that, that, relax. Yeah, yeah, you and Bluto Blutarski uh, college, the best seven years of my life down the drain, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was, I, was told, I was told very firmly when I went away to college that I was on the four-year program. Uh, and so I, I lived up to that. But so you get out of college at age 22, um, full retirement age these days for somebody born 1960 or later is 67. And so that gives you in the, in the workforce a, a, a 45 year period, if you think about it, 
in which you could contribute to the system before you hit your full retirement age. Well, right now, Social Security only averages 35 out of the 45. You know, so maybe you could um, average 38 or something. That would slow down benefits without, um, you know, it would have an impact, wouldn't close the gap entirely. So there's things out there uh, that can be done. I think Social Security is kind of hurt these days because it doesn't face an immediate crisis. There's no danger that benefits won't be paid next month or the month after, things like that. So it's very easy for Congress, just sort of the old proverbial expression, kick the can down the road uh, and, and wait for somebody else to deal with it. I know. I, I always say, you know, if it weren't for the last minute, nothing would ever get done. Absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely right. We always see that Congress tends to lurch from crisis to crisis, and Social Security is not a program in crisis. Um, it, and it even not an immediate crisis, I, you know, I tend to think it's a program that faces some challenges. Absolutely. Um, but they're demographically driven challenges. Uh, the baby boom generation that I'm part of, there's more people collecting now. The fact that life expectancy is increasing means that those more people are collecting for a longer period of time than in the past. And the fact that the baby boom generation was followed by the baby bust generation, which is significant because really it's a pay as you go system. Today's you, Alyssa, hang into the system. Those dollars support the people who are currently collecting. Right now, there's about three people working to support each one person who's collecting benefits. By 2035, that's projected to drop down to about two to one, which, you know, puts some strain on the Social Security sure. program. So, but again, it, it'd be better if Congress dealt with the issue sooner rather than later. So people your age could plan and recognize what the changes were going to be before they were dropped on them two months before they retired. So let me, okay, so let me put you on the spot here for a second. Um, And let's say, you know, let's say I'm talking to, you know, talking to a client that is, you know, say 40 years old. And and we're trying to figure out what to assume, you know, their social security benefits might be at, you know, full retirement age, you know, and for them, you know, that would be like 67. So, you know, if their statement says, you know, $3,500 a month, what, what would you use? Uh, what would you use, you know, for a future dollar amount? Sure. And I think it's very safe. Again, you know, depending on how conservative or, or, or you want to be. But again, worst case scenario, as I pointed out, is that if Congress does nothing to deal with the issue, then Social Security will have enough money to cover 78% of the benefits promised through the next 75 years. So you really want to be really, really conservative. Take that number that's shown in the Social Security statement as a benefit estimate and figure out what 78% of it is. And that's going to be your floor. That's, That's the worst case scenario planning going forward and, and then build off of that. Now, you and I have talked, I've talked uh, all the time, Social Security was never supposed to be anyone's sole source of income in retirement. It's always been intended to provide a base, a foundation, but people must take steps to supplement it. And so to me anyway, it's important to understand, recognize what the base is gonna be, and then as early as possible, take steps to build on what Social Security is gonna provide. And so, you know, a, a very conservative figure um, and again, that would assume that Congress does nothing to deal with the issue. And I think they are going to deal with the issue at some point. But worst case scenario, take 78 percent of the benefit amount shown in the statement and, and build from there. I think. Yeah, I think that 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 makes sense. I mean, it's conservative. Right. Which is, you know, if, if, if you have to make a guess about the future, then it, it makes sense to go that that direction. Um, and so, yeah, I think that that makes some sense. Can um Another question that, you know, what comes up a lot or something that I talk to clients about is, well, you know, what is what is the cost of living adjustments on on Social Security? You know, what what, what have they been and, and what can we assume that they might be, you know, going forward? Yep. Yep. And now let me just say this to quote the great philosopher Yogi Berra. <laughs> I'm very reluctant to make predictions, especially about the future. <laughs> yep. Think about that. That's a good one. Yes. All right. So let's let's talk about cost of living adjustments or COLAs. Hugely important part of the social security program. Now you can take a step back, recognize what a rare thing social security is today in today's retirement world. Because if you think about it, social security is akin to that traditional defined benefit pension, where it provides you with a guaranteed stream of lifetime income that you cannot outlive. You begin to collect payments, you're gonna be paid 
each and every month for the rest of your life. You can't outlive what you paid into the system, as opposed to predominant feature in the pension world, private pension world today, those 401k, 403b, 457, those defined contribution pensions, where you walk into retirement with a hunk of money, and unless you annuitize them or do some other things with it, it's conceivable that you could outlive your money. But the other thing that's important about Social Security is, unlike even those very few defined benefit pensions that are still in existence, it does provide a measure of inflation protection, which is so important because people are living longer and longer in retirement. If you're gonna be living 25, 30, maybe even 30 years in retirement, if you don't have some measure of inflation protection built into your income, purchasing power is gonna fall off a cliff. So since 1975, Social Security benefits have been increased annually based on a measure called the Consumer Price Index for urban wage earners and clerical workers. The CPIW is the uh, abbreviation. It's a measure tracked by the Federal Bureau of Labor Statistics, tracks inflation in a market basket of goods and services. And in determining how much of an increase Social Security beneficiaries are going to get, the Social Security Administration compares the growth in that CPIW from the third quarter of one calendar year to the third quarter of the following calendar year. So July, August, September, compared to the following July, August, and September. Now, between the third quarter of 2020 and the third quarter of 2021, that CPIW increased by 5.9%, which meant that starting in January 2022, Social Security beneficiaries received a 5.9% increase in their benefits because that was the increase in the CPIW during that 12-month period. Now, historic, and that was the largest increase, though, in about 40 years. Is that right? Yeah. Because inflation since the, the, the late 70s or so has pretty much been under control, and the CPIW has increased in the neighborhood 1, 2, maybe 3% over the course of time. So, you know, in, in terms of projecting down the road, um, what it's going to be down the road, I still think about a 2.5% 2, 2, 2. assumption, because that's historical levels. Um, but we'll see what happens. But the, the important thing to me anyway is um, you do have this measure of inflation protection built in automatically. It's not incumbent on a separate vote of Congress each and every year. It applies to everybody equally. Uh, which is uh, so important. You can have discussions about, you know, what the right inflation measure to use is, and there's some discussion about that going on. But to me, anyway, um, it's just the fact that there is this measure of inflation protection that is just such a hugely important part of the Social Security program. Again, given the fact that people are living longer and longer in retirement. Yeah, I. Um, so you were okay. So you were going back to 1975. There is that. Is that what you said? <coughs> So the legislation was passed, <clears throat> excuse me, in 1972. It kicked in starting in 1975. That was the first year of the automatic COLA protection. Prior to that, there had been increases in social security benefits, but they were based on a separate vote of Congress, which not surprisingly happened to generally occur during an election year. Can't understand why, mm -hmm, but, mm -hmm. but now it's, as I said, no longer incumbent, automatic guaranteed, based on that CPIW increase one year to the next. All right, so Kurt, we're, we're just about ready to, uh, to take a break. Um, so I was just gonna chat real quick about the, about the seminar that we're gonna have. Um, so, uh, you're, you know, you're, today you're listening to Mr. Kurt Zarnowski, uh, and he will be joining us uh, live, so to speak, uh, live Zoom. Uh, on, this will be on April 21st, uh, starting at 6.30 p.m. And uh, if you would like to join us for that, um, you can call the office, 781-834-2010, uh, uh, to register, and we can give you all the pertinent information. Um, you know, so Kurt and I will be, uh, will be there to, um, you know, Kurt will give a presentation and then uh, take, some, take some questions afterwards uh, from folks if they have specific questions. Um, and uh, Kurt, maybe if you want to give out your contact info real quick. Sure, it's, you can reach me at my email, which is 
Kurt, K-U-R-T, not Kirk, K-I-R-K. You can distinguish that. Kurt.Zarnowski, C is in Charlie, Z is in Zebra, A-R-N-O-W-S-K-I at gmail.com or www.ZarnowskiConsulting.com. All right, we'll be right back. This is Mike McNamara. If you're looking for a financial advisor, start by asking him or her three questions. Number one, are you a certified financial planner practitioner? Number two, are you legally held to a fiduciary standard of care for your clients? And number three, do you only give financial advice and not sell investment products? These are all simple yes-no questions. If he or she doesn't answer yes quickly and starts talking, that's a no, and it's time to move on to another advisor. All right, good morning. We are back. You're listening to McNamara on Money, the South Shore's very own financial talk radio show. Uh, my name is Kirk Reed, uh, advisor at McNamara Financial. I am joined uh, today by Mr. Kurt Zarnowski. That's K-U-R-T, not to be confused with myself, Kirk. Uh, it's, you know, it's one of the most confusing shows we do, Kurt, but also one of the best. So, you know, I think it's worth, I think it's worth the confusion. Yeah, yeah. People confuse us a lot. We're I know. Confused a lot. Yeah. Wait a minute. That's not right. <laughs> Even if you see us in person, yeah. Um, so, all right. So, we're talking about Social Security today. Um, Kurt, uh, if you're just joining us, Kurt uh, was a longtime um, employee uh, of the Social Security Administration. Um, he's now semi retired, uh, working uh, as a consultant uh, in the same field. Um, Kurt will be joining us uh, in a few weeks uh, to do a uh, Zoom uh, seminar. Uh, so if you'd like to join us, you can call the office to register. Uh, the office number is 781-834-2010. Uh, the seminar will be held on April 21st, uh, starting at 6.30 p.m. Um, all right, so Kurt, um, how about if we talk about you know, how does one, you know, qualify uh, for Social Security benefits? Can we chat about that? Sure, absolutely. You know, and um, one of the great things about Social Security from its beginning is it has always been viewed as an earned right, meaning you qualify for benefits under the Social Security program because you have worked and paid into the Social Security program. You know, FDR back in the midst of the Great Depression sold it to the country as it wasn't a handout. It was an earned right. And you qualified for benefits and you had earned the payments that you received because you had worked and paid that social security payroll tax. Um, as we talked about it a little bit earlier, if you're in job this year covered under the social security program, you're gonna pay 6.2% of your salary on the first $147,000 that you happen to make this year. As an employee, that figure will be matched by your employer. And if you're self-employed, you have the privilege mm -hmm. of paying the combined employer-employee rate. Now, as we said, 6.2% has been constant since 91, but that taxable maximum level does go up a little bit each year based on the increase in wages in the country um, one year over the last. Last year, for example, the maximum taxable $142,800, increased $147,000. But that's, again, you have to be in a job covered under the Social Security program. And these days, about 94% of the jobs in this country do fall under the Social Security umbrella. Last group of handout, uh, holdouts, excuse me, are state and local employees in a number of jurisdictions, including here in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. We can talk about how a pension um, from one of those entities impacts somebody's social security benefit. But by and large, it's universal retirement program, but you get coverage because you work and pay into the system. But the question is, well, how long do you need to work in order to qualify for benefits? Going back historically, when the program started, you would earn what were called social security quarters of coverage or QCs was the abbreviation that older people are aware of. And you would earn one quarter of coverage if you had worked in a job under social security and had made at least $50 during a calendar quarter of the year. Four quarters in the year meant you could earn a maximum of four quarters of coverage, <coughs> excuse me, during any one calendar year. But to do that, you needed to work in all four quarters of the year and make at least 50 bucks. 1978, though, Congress changed the way people get coverage and protection under Social Security. 
These days, you get coverage not based on how much you make, I'm sorry, not based on when you work, but based strictly on how much you have in earnings covered under Social Security. So now you no longer talk about earning quarters of coverage, you earn what are called Social Security credits. And in 1978, system was set up that you would earn one Social Security credit for each $250 that you made in a job covered under the Social Security program. Key thing was, didn't matter when you made it. Make it all in one day. If you had earnings then of $1,000 or more, you would earn your four Social Security credits for 1978. The amount of money required to earn a credit has grown with the passage of time. This year, you get one Social Security credit for each $1,510 that you happen to make because you still can earn a maximum of four credits in any one calendar year. It means this year, 2022, for example, you have earnings of $6,040 or more. You'll have earned your four Social Security credits for calendar year 2022. And the bottom line, Kirk, is to qualify for a Social Security retirement benefit, you need to accumulate 40, 40 quarters of coverage and or credits, they count the same, over your entire working lifetime. And so once you've got your 40 credits, you're good to go. In terms of the law, you are insured for a social security payment, which means you'll absolutely positively get something when the time comes. And we could talk about how much that something's gonna be. We'll talk about what when the time comes means, but 40 credits, get your foot in the door. <clears throat> you'll be entitled to something based on your own work activity. And oh yeah, by the way, you'll get something every month with 40 credits, even if you happen to get a public pension here in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, a teacher's pension or a state or local retiree pension. A lot of people mistakenly think that because they get that mass teacher's retirement system pension, that even though they may have earned their 40 credits in the past, that they're not going to get anything from Social Security. That's wrong. We can touch on that. I think, yeah, that's a very, yeah, there's a lot of as you say, misconceptions and, and myths uh, surrounding that one. Um, and I see that all the time and, you know, conversations that I have with folks that come in and, um, and uh, you know, so a question, you know, question or comment that I had, you know, we talked about, you, do, you just mentioned those dollars that you had to earn in order to qualify, you know, for your quarters or in your, in your credits, I mean, your credits. Um, and, but, that, but those are different dollar amounts than what they consider uh, substantial earnings, correct? So, so there's two, two separate issues. When we yep. get into the topic of what is called the windfall elimination provision, which is provision of the Social Security Act that impacts those public employees who get a pension based on work not covered under Social Security, but who have also worked and paid into the Social Security program. Windfall elimination provision, the WEP is the abbreviation. With that, there are two different concepts. You need to get your 40 credits, you get credits, but then there's a provision of the law that says, based on the amount of work you've done under the social security program, it is conceivable that, or it, it is true that the more work you have under the program, the less of an impact that public pension has on your social security benefit. And that's where the concept of substantial earnings come in, comes into play. This concept of substantial earnings only applies to somebody who gets that public pension, figure out whether they've worked long and high enough under the Social Security program to begin to reduce the impact of the windfall provision, which is basically Social Security simply uses a different and admittedly less generous formula to calculate somebody's benefit. I feel, Another, yeah. Just a quick reminder yep. before we move on. So if you don't get your 40 credits you're never gonna collect anything based on your own work activity. It's really a cliff situation. You get 40 or 41 or more, you're good to go. You get 39 or fewer, you're never gonna qualify for anything based on your own work activity. Now, it is possible that you could collect based on the work of a spouse, an ex-spouse or a deceased spouse. So we can talk about those other aspects, but it really is this cliff situation that you need to get 40 to qualify for something. If you don't get the 40, you can't receive anything based on your own work history. And so people ask, well, you know, um, yeah, yeah, say a school teacher or something. 
and they're, I'm about to retire from teaching. I've only got uh, 39 credits. You know, is it worth my while to, to get that other credit? I say absolutely, because that creates an independent revenue stream for you. You get that 40 credits, crosses the threshold, you're always going to get something. And as I said, this year, you make $1,510 in earnings, or if somebody's self-employed, it's based on your net profit from your business, but you get one credit for each $1,510. So I always say to somebody, you know, if you're close to me anyway, and you've got a reasonable way to get that additional money, no reason not to do it. Now, if, you know, you have 10 credits and you're 65, well, that, you know, that that's that's a whole other thing. That's like nine more years of work uh, yeah. to qualify. And when we were talking, you know, during the first segment there and, you know, how we were saying, you know, most people are kind of, obli- you know, kind of oblivious to, uh, to this stuff while they're working, right? You know, because they're caught up in their daily life. You know, they've got kids, whatever. Uh, you know, maybe they're, um, you know, a stay-at-home parent and... But yeah, this, so this is a good reason to maybe be thinking about it along the way so that you can be, you know, perhaps accumulating these credits so that you don't have to try to cram them in, uh, you know, at the end. Or, um, so that, that, that is a good reason why you should be kind of aware of how the system works uh, so that you can try to try to get some credits along the way um, here yeah, and there. And it's important to reinforce, you don't have to earn four credits in a year. You can't earn more than four, but... This year, you make 1510 bucks. All right, you got one credit for that work. It never hurts you, right? but it, people don't, you know, lots of times people think you have to get at least four credits. You have to have enough earnings for a four, there's like a four credit minimum. No, one credit here, but once you accumulate those 40, which think about it, it's the equivalent of 10 years of work under the system, then you're always good to go and you'll always get something. Right. Yeah, but if yeah, if you only get one a year, that would take take a little bit longer. But yes, but let I understand me, what you're saying. Yeah. 40, wait, I'm going to work on this now. Let me think. Uh, it would take a while. Yes, uh, but yeah, no, I think that that's a point point taken uh, to to be aware of how that works. And yeah, um, okay, so you know, I feel like we always do kind of try to cram in the the uh, the GPO and the WEP at the end of the show. So maybe let, maybe let's chat about that for the rest of this segment here. Um, sure. And yeah, okay. Um, so, there, yeah, so there are two provisions of the Social Security program that impact folks who receive, and this is a key thing, a public pension, which is based on work not covered under the Social Security program. A public pension based on work where they have not been paying into the Social Security program as they've been working. A couple of things to think about here in Massachusetts, for example... School teachers do not pay into the Social Security program. However, in New York State, school teachers do pay into the Social Security program. So teachers here in Massachusetts are going to be impacted by the windfall provision and the government pension offset. School teachers in New York won't be. At the federal level, there's two separate federal pension systems that are operating today. The older civil service retirement system and the new Federal Employee Retirement System, or FERS, CSRS and FERS. People covered under the old CSRS system do not pay into the Social Security program. They're going to be impacted by WEP or GPO. Federal employees hired since 84, covered under the new FERS system, do pay into Social Security. So they're not impacted by WEP and or GPO. So that's the key thing. It's not just it's a public pension. It has to be a public pension based on work where you were not paying into the Social Security program. The windfall provision, that impacts what you can collect based on your own work record as you get that public pension. And in its simplest form, as I said, you're always going to get something. As long as you have your 40 credits, you'll always get something every month from Social Security, even though you receive that public pension. That's the good news. The bad news is, Absent 30 years of work under the Social Security program at a substantial earnings level, we touched on that a little bit before, the amount you get each month from Social Security is going to be less than it would be than if you didn't have that pension. Because the windfall provision requires, as I said before, Social Security to use a different and admittedly a less generous formula to calculate the amount of that person's benefit. But you're always going to get something but with fewer than 30 years, 
you won't get as much as you would have if you didn't get that pension. 2022, the maximum reduction in somebody's social security benefit at his or her full retirement age because of the receipt of that pension is to lower their benefit by $512 a month. So somebody's gonna get that teacher's pension, social security statement comes and says, you're gonna get $1,012 per month, absent fewer than 20 years of work under the system, you're not gonna get that 1,012, you'll get 500 bucks. Hugely different from what a lot of people think. They think they're you know, gonna get nothing or it'll be completely right. wiped in. Right. And I mean, yeah, $500 a month is, you know, is significant, but, but, uh, but I, I, you're right. It's, it's not, it's nowhere near as I think drastic as people think it is in, in their minds. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely right. And, and again, number of different things to think about in the way social security calculates benefits that come into play here as well. So we talked about, you need 10 years of work under the system to qualify for anything, 40 credits, check, you got that. But then when it comes time to calculate your benefit, Social Security averages someone's highest 35 years of work under the system. I-35, regardless of when they occur. You don't happen to have 35 years where you've worked and paid into the system, you know, taken time out of the workforce to raise kids, care for aging parents, or perhaps work for a while in a job like a Massachusetts school teacher where you're not paying into the system. They're still gonna be averaging your highest 35 years of work, but if you don't happen to have 35 years of something, zeros get added in for those additional years, lowers your average monthly wage, lowers your benefit. But then the third number though that comes in in impacting people getting that public pension is always gonna be averaging your high 35, but the windfall provision will only be applied if you have fewer than 30 years of substantial earnings under the program. So you can have 30 years of substantial earnings, five years of zeros, it's all kinds of numbers that come into play, but 10 years get your foot in the door. It's going to be an average of your high 35. But if you get that public pension, if you don't have, happen to have 30 or more years of substantial earnings, and in 2022, you have to make around $27,000 in a job under Social Security to be considered a year of substantial earnings. But with fewer than 30 years, you get less each month from Social Security than you'd receive if you didn't have that pension. But the more time you've had under the social security system, the less of an impact that public what, pension has. What did you say the substantial earnings number was for this year? Uh, I, I, or last yeah. year? No, I'll tell you right now. Okay. He said confidently. As he shuffles, shuffles, as he through, shuffles his, through his, his important yeah, twenty-seven In 2022, $27,300. Okay, so a little over $27,000. Uh, last year is 26550 Okay. Yeah, just to kind of give people a sense of what that number is, and 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 it's and as you go backwards through time, the numbers are you know decrease. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Going backwards, yep. they they yep. they go yep. up with inflation, and that and that makes sense. Um, but yeah, so you have to make that in order to for it to count for a year, as far as the the WEP uh, is concerned. But there's the other important thing. It's always based on your high thirty five years of work under the system. So you're a math school teacher. You make. You know, you work summers or something like that. You make this year $25,000. Well, all right. It may not be high enough to constitute a year of substantial earnings to reduce the impact of the web, but it will count as one of your, probably your high 35 years. And the more earnings you've had over those 35 years, the higher your benefit's gonna be. So it never hurts to work and pay into the system, even if you've got a year that doesn't reach that substantial earnings threshold because it's based on an average of your high 35. So yeah, yeah, go ahead. Key point to keep in mind, what triggers the application of the windfall provision is receipt of the pension. Why do I raise that? So you're a math school teacher. We haven't had a chance to talk about it in this show, but we've done it before in terms of how work impacts your ability to collect. You need to understand what is called your full retirement age under the Social Security program. And somebody born 19, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> born 1956, for example, that person's full retirement age is when they turn 66 years and four months. Full retirement age varies based on your birth, but 
key thing is once you reach your social security full retirement age under the rules of the program you can work and earn as much as you'd like and collect social security benefits at the same time prior to full retirement age there is an earnings limitation that impacts whether you can collect or not but from your full retirement age month on no longer an earnings limitation why do i raise that well you're a massachusetts school teacher you have your 40 social security credits you're continuing to teach. You haven't retired. You hit your social security full retirement age. You can go to social security at that point, apply for and receive a full monthly social security benefit because the windfall provision won't be applied until you retire and begin to draw your pension. So you can collect a higher amount and then at whatever point you retire, more than you let Social Security know, but they'll recompute your benefit at that point to take into account you're now getting that public pension. But until you retire, receive the pension, the windfall provision doesn't apply, and you get the full benefit of the generous Social Security benefit calculation. The key thing is it's the month you reach your full retirement age that the earnings limitation goes away. And so know what that is, and then you know, a, a strategy to consider and the windfall provision kicks in only when you start to get the pension. Now you could now in that same scenario, if you're a teaching, uh, but you have your all your quarters, you could you could theoretically start taking Social Security at, at an early age, like 62. Right. And and still not have the windfall elimination provision kick in because you haven't started collecting your pension. So, so that's the key question, though, yep. is are yep. you retired or are you still working? Still working. Okay, because if you're still working, you're going to be subject to an earnings limitation. But you can still collect, year, right? You can still collect a reduced amount? Well, it'll depend on how much you're making. This year, for example, if you're under your full retirement age, you're allowed to make up to $19,560 without any loss of benefits whatsoever. Nineteen five sixty or less, yeah. You can collect every month of the year. You make above that, doesn't mean you can't necessarily collect. <clears throat> but Social Security is required to hold back $1 in benefits for every $2 that you're over the threshold. So depending upon how much you're making while working, you may not be able to collect because of the earnings test that comes into play. But from full retirement age month on, no longer any earnings limitation whatsoever. Right. So if you were maybe part-time or something that, that you might Absol be able to. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, right. Yeah. Part-time, um, you know, have cut back because of COVID and, you know, working one day a week or something like that. And you're under that. That's what I'm doing. Threshold. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Something to think, think about. Um, okay. Okay. So I know we only have about five or six minutes, but uh, do, you, do you want to try to cram in the, uh, the GPO? Sure. Absolutely. So okay. GPO impacts somebody who gets that public pension. But now, instead of looking to collect a social security benefit based on his or her own work record, they're looking to collect based on the work and earnings of a spouse, deceased spouse or ex-spouse. Social security spousal benefits, basically, you always get your own benefit first, and then say you're married, social security will compare your own full retirement age amount with 50% of your spouse's full retirement age amount. And if your own benefit is less than 50% of your spouse's. Again, you always get your own first, but then that additional hunk of money, the difference between yours and 50% is paid to you as a social security spousal portion, for example. GPO says that if you get that public pension based on work not covered under social security, before social security will pay you that additional hunk of money, they're gonna look at the amount of your pension figure out what two thirds of your monthly pension is and offset that additional sum of money by that two thirds of your pension. So if two thirds of your monthly pension is more than the additional money you could get based on your spouse's work record or your ex-spouse's work record, you don't get anything more from social security. You get your own benefit, you get your own full teacher's pension, but you may not be able to get any additional money. Now, when we're talking about survivor benefits, it's gonna be the difference between your own benefit and 100% of your deceased spouse's or deceased ex-spouse's record, but it's the same concept. Social Security will look at two thirds of somebody's pension 
And if two thirds of their pension is more than the additional money they could get based on their spouses, deceased spouses or ex-spouses record, they don't get anything more. They always get their own, they always get their own pension, but they may not get anything more. So with GPO, that's an important difference from the WEP. With the WEP, you always get something based on your own work record. But, and then really the amount of your pension is immaterial, unless it's a really small pension. But with the government pension offset, it is possible based on the amount of your pension, you may not be eligible for any additional money based on your spouse's work record because it's required under GPO to reduce any additional money you could get by two thirds of your pension. That was good. So, yeah, you, you yeah, got that so, in there so pretty quick. Yeah. Quick reminder, they're not mutually exclusive. You can be impacted by either the WEP or the GPO or by both at the same time. So, so the folks at Social Security can help you work through that. Um, all right, so we're coming up on you know the end of this segment. So I was going to talk about the seminar one more time. Um, so uh, Mr. Kurt Zarnowski, who you're listening to today, uh, will be joining us uh, on a, uh, a Zoom uh, seminar. Uh, that'll be on Thursday, April 21st, uh, starting at 6.30 p.m. Uh, if you would like to register for that, uh, we'd ask that you call the office, uh, 781-834-2010. And uh, we can get you signed up for that. Um, Kurt, I know I, I let you do this before, but um, if you wanted to give out your contact info one more time. And, and, and also, you know, just you have a minute if you want to explain, you know, again, how you might work with, a, you know, with an individual uh, and or I know that you do. You also do, uh, you know, group uh, group presentations and things like that. Sure. I do group presentations typically get hired by employers or financial service professionals. But I do provide individual Social Security consulting services. But. As I said at the beginning of the show, I don't tell people what they should do under the program. I don't give advice, but I'll meet with couples. Used to do it in person. Now we're pretty much completely via Zoom, although hopefully we'll be able to meet in person again. But I try and help people understand, as I say, what you can do under the Social Security program. Not going to tell you what you should do. That's your choice. But I also believe if you don't understand what you can do, you're in no position to decide what you should do. So. We can talk through your choices and options and, and uh, put you in a position to, to make the best decision for you. Once, uh, you know, do you think you will go back to going to, you know, like, national conferences and things at some point? Or Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Confident that that's going to happen. I've started to get some requests for in-person presentations already. So we'll see. I think the tide has turned a little bit. Hopefully it will continue to turn. Um, I'm just going to give out the, our number real quick. So if you'd like to call us today with a question, 781-837-4900. Uh, we'll be uh, right back in a minute and we'll continue Social Security.